Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Spitfire, welcome uh, to uh, We Have Ways of Making You Talk, very special edition um, on video for those uh, Patreons uh, that we have, and then um, listening for the listeners on the normal podcast. Where are we, James? Well, we're at Biggin Hill, we've got skylarks above us, haven't we? You know, um, Perfect blue sky, some cirrus, I think, I'm not on a cloud, I'm not a clouds expert, but, it's, it's a, bit of, it's but a, bit a man of who cirrus, could describe the sky for us and much else besides is Peter Monk, because we're at the Heritage Hangar here at Biggin Hill. Those of you who have been watching Inside the Spitfire Factory, the voiceover guy is my highlight, um, uh, uh, will know Peter from his um, extraordinary business here, um, uh, restoring um, Spitfires, mainly, although there's a, there is a hurricane in bits in there. There is. There's several hurricanes. Yeah, there's three, actually, at the moment. Yeah, wow, fantastic. Three hurricanes. Three hurricanes, but, you know... Spitfires, there where the action is. Um, we're, so we're on the we're on the tarmac. Well, it's not tarmac, like, is it? Though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yet. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the concrete here, with a Mark Nine twin seater being set up for someone going for a flight. Is they that- are. They're just about. They're getting strapped in. Look, they're begin- they're given the um, the safety brief, which is right. very important. They need to understand what's going on and need to understand how to get out in the event of an emergency, which is very rare. It's not going to happen, basically, but they, we need to be aware of it all. And you can see that the canopy is just about to be closed and the engine just about to be started. Oh, it's stuff of dreams, isn't Blimey. it? Blimey. Stuff now, of dreams. Now, so I've, already, I've just walked past the two-seater hurricane. Oh, my God. Very, very tempted. Yeah, well, we're here. You, you know. I know, I know, I know, but, you know, the it's Patreons quite a lot of money, it, isn't it? it? <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> now, Peter, tell us about this aircraft in particular. Before, Although we're about to get, we, we are about to get blasted <clears throat> out. Tell us about this plane. Very special, this one. As a single-seater, before it was converted into a, a two-seater, which we've obviously now take the, get the benefit of taking passengers up in, it served with the Canadian Air Force, a Royal Canadian Air Force, and um, on the 27th of September 1944, it um, was credited with a victory over a 109 over Arnhem. So it was patrolling Arnhem while all the parachutists were being dropped. And uh, the pilot, pilot officer, Sid Bregman, 19-year-old, shot down a Messerschmitt 19. 109. Same age as my son. <laughs> Jesus. Unbelievable. Me. Yeah. So it's very yeah. special. So here it is, preserved. It's fairly original. You've yeah. got his logbook, haven't you? We have. We've got his logbook. Because you try with the aircraft to gather as much history as you possibly can, don't you? So we do. It's not just an yeah, airframe that... And there it is, wow. sort of, you know, yeah, RF blue, Royal Canadian Air Force, pilot's flying logbook, name Sidney Bregman. Bregman. Yeah, and Bregman. Number. And there's and his number. Yeah, again, he only died a couple of years ago. And um, where's, the, where's the fatal, uh, uh, fatal uh, day? Uh, let me just find it for you. July, July. God, they fly a lot, aren't they? Oh, they did. There it is, look. and even... Um, we have some photographs here, which are stills from the... That's a, that's a 109G, isn't it? It is, 109G, and you can see parts there which are obviously being 
uh, struck struck and leaving the aircraft and uh, there there we have so what date is that the 27th of September 1944 wow and wow. he says 1109G destroyed and we were just talking to one of your chaps next door and he was saying that the reason he was able to hit it was because he had a drop tank on at the time the drop tank had just run out of fuel and started to splutter and so he was fiddling around trying That's to switch right. tanks looked up the rest of the squadron had gone and at that moment the 109 came in front of him that's exactly right so you can just imagine you had he not been faffing with the fuel tanks he wouldn't have shot head down. down faffing around as you say and um <laughs> loss of formation but that left him alone with this 109 which he fortunately was able to sort out so absolutely incredible and this is a mark 9 isn't it was well, a tr9 now but, it is but but a mark 9 when it was first born and you know everyone always says that this is the kind of the pilot's favorite isn't it it is you know i know there's 14s with the Griffin and all the rest of it and a lot of people love the, the Mark 8s, so those who flew them out in the Far East and stuff, but the Mark 9 is a thing of perfection, isn't it really? I think it's the, it had the, the, big, the, the greatest yeah. usage, it's just about to start. Look, Here we go. go. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it great? This is the moment where you hope the propeller doesn't fly off. Yeah, absolutely. Go that way, wouldn't it? Though. <laughs> <laughs> going clockwise, isn't it? Yeah. Clockwise. There he goes. It'll be a few minutes before he takes off. Yeah. Because it's, we're now into autumn and uh, cooler temperatures. It'll probably be 10 minutes or so before he. It'll be a good 10 minutes or so before he um, <laughs> before he takes off. So we can taxi over. And we're taking off in a northerly direction today, northerly wind, hence it being a bit chillier. Yeah. And um, yeah, you should. We, we'll hear him doing running the engine very shortly, just doing the usual pre-flight checks. Uh, where do you come by a Mark Nine like that then? Well, in all fairness, that aircraft has been uh, in circulation for some years. It was restored and first flew in the mid '90s. Right. Um, and uh, so it was known, and it was advertised for sale around about six years ago. In fact, I was pipped to the post at the time and a friend of mine bought it before I did. Right. And, uh, and then he uh, sold it to me. I'm right. no doubt for a profit, <laughs> but uh, now, now we've what got it. What a base four, eh? Yeah, I know, absolutely. <laughs> so now we've got it here at the hangar and it's, and it, and it's working hard and working well. And um, all the time we can keep the passenger side of it running. Yeah. It um, will help to preserve the future of it. Yeah. Very no, expensive. In, in a war, you'd, yeah, I, think, I think they'd get about 200 hours, is that right, out of a Merlin, something like that? That, I mean, the life expectancy of a Spitfire was very short, so it was probably unknown exactly how many hours you could get, but now we, uh, we budget for 500 hours. Do and you? yeah, we generally take the engines out, anything over 400, providing it's still running nicely, we take the engine out, send it away for overhaul, so uh, that's what we, we work on. And if you needed a new Merlin, what, what do you do if you need a new, a new engine? You can still get new boxed parts, which we use in the engines. Right. So um, brand new, brand new in the box from yeah. from Rolls Royce. Well, they're not. Uh, we we use a lot of uh, Packard parts right. these days, which are the American engines. They, so they, these are parts that were built back in the war, but just never opened. That's right, absolutely. So they're, they're sealed up in boxes. We can't just use them. No, I have to emphasise that we have to uh, <laughs> check all the parts just because they're new in the box. Yeah. Or unused in the box doesn't mean to say that the metal is a yeah, exactly. store, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So we have to check every part, but it's a good place to be because what they won't have suffered from is is wear. 
Yeah, yeah, which yep. is obviously what's happening now. We're wearing these things out. And, and, you're, <laughs> and, you're, and you're Mark Nine. That's that's about a takeoff now. I mean, how hard would you be? You're saying it's working hard, but I mean, how many hours is that doing over a, in a year? That that aeroplane this year will have flown about uh, 200 hours now because of because of obviously the the uh, coronavirus thing that we've got going on at the moment. Yes. That, what were you um, talking about? The pestilence. It's flown a lot less than it would have done normally, but it would guess it would do around 350 to 400 hours in a year. So it's one engine a year. Right. That's what we're looking at. Right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, the process of overhauling an engine, I mean, the Merlins are complicated bits of kit, aren't they? I mean, any inline engine is a complicated bit of kit. And Merlin especially so, Griffin obviously even more so. I mean, is it a big palaver to do that? Is that a... It's an expensive palaver. Is it? You, <laughs> I'll say that that much, but um, it's something that we have to do. We, yep. We've got to obviously make sure that we maintain the safety of the aircraft and the operation, and the, and the engine's key to that. So, But fortunately, the parts, as I said, are available yep. at the moment. And we wouldn't be beyond making new... If and if not, you have to fab you fabricate yeah, yeah, exactly. new parts. Yeah, yeah. Because, because when, you're, when, you're, uh, when you're restoring an aircraft, if there's a part that... Because after all, the interesting thing about the Spitfire, uh, when you look at the way it was produced, is it's on the cusp of proper mass production. It is. But it isn't actually properly mass no. produced. No. They are essentially artisan made in a mass production style. So every rivet is individually it is. riveted. It's not punched no. on a jig so that they're identical and interchangeable. So you end up with this weird... It's a, it's a strange moment in British mass production that actually then carries on into the 50s and 60s yes, and into car production right. and, and all, the, yep. all the problems we had yep. with those industries. That you've got, a, you've got a thing that on the face of it is mass produced but isn't at all. So when you're restoring a Spitfire that must be a, quite a problem, yeah? Well actually it, it, it's not because most of the parts, well pretty much all of it in fact, the, the airframe, if we have to manufacture any of it, is handmade. Right. Therefore it's never going to if we make it to fit one aircraft, we couldn't remove it and stick it on another. Yeah, yeah. And we are one by one restoring these aeroplanes. They're not mass produced. We're not taking parts off the shelf. We'll have a project. We'll start with yeah. whatever we start with. If we have to replace or uh, or manufacture, then it's, it makes it in fact but the dials and controls and everything. Those are those yes, are, are essentially mass yeah, produced. Yeah, they are. That's right. right. And you'll find uh, dials, uh, instruments from. Spitfires also fit Hurricanes and other right. period aircraft. So yeah. yes, they are. They but you've built up all your machine tools here, and, and you can basically make anything you need to make, pretty much. Can yes, you? that's right. After we do, yeah, no, but that's not strictly true. The engines we subcontract those. There are airframe parts that we are already using established contractors to make some of those parts, yeah. wing spars and so on. Yeah. So we don't do it all here. We could if we have to, right. but because it's just one by one. With, with our projects, there is no need. Yeah, you're not real. churning no, out no, like no, a, a, no, a 300 no, a week. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't quite manage that. Yeah. They would, they would, would that make them more or less expensive? <laughs> well, it, yeah, that's that, that, that's the point actually. But um, as it is, let's say we manage as we are, and it works. Yeah. How long have you been doing this then? Um, we started here at Big and Hilling back in 2011, so right. uh, just nine years. Right. So we've come quite a way in that time. The two-seater operation has helped. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because funding these aircraft, the the problem is they're expensive to restore, but yeah. the, the um, but the meter keeps running. Yeah. As soon as you've restored it, then you've got to maintain the status quo. The airplane's got to got to be kept airworthy. Yeah, and that almost needs an open checkbook. And everyone's everyone's multitasking, aren't they? So it's not like it's not like you've yeah. got a team of Urks no. to to to, no, to no, make no, sure no. the flying aircraft fly. No. Everyone's doing a bit of everything. They are, exactly. Including, uh, with me occasionally cleaning the floor, the toilets and the rest of it, because we have to. <laughs> 
It is amazing though. I mean, coming to a place like this and, and you, you wander around and there's a kind of sort of a Spitfire wing in the process of being made and there's the sort of engine cowlings off and you're looking at the, the Merlin and you really can get and have a look at the sort of the granular detail of a Spitfire, can't yeah. you here? And, yeah. it, and it's amazing to see. You really do, does make you really appreciate just how complex these machines were and, and really how, how advanced technologically the world had come by kind of the late 1930s. Yeah, it varies when you walk through our hangar. They say, depending on the stages of restoration, at the moment, we say we've got the, the Greek aeroplane, which, yeah. is, which is now finished, so that's completely covered. You can't see much going on there in the way of workings. And uh, we've got another aircraft which is just about to, to fly. It's within days of flying, but it, two weeks ago, there wasn't a cover. You could see every sort of working, you could see the engine, you could see all the pipes, and then you come in today and it's complete. So it depends what when you walk through the hangar, it's a very different picture, it's constantly changing. Okay, we can hear the... We can hear, but we can't see. We can't see it because of the slight, because of the slight but Any minute now, oh, oh, there it is. Oh, it's always a joy. It's an old, old cliche, but you never get tired of that sound, do you? You just no. don't. No, you don't, no. Makes you proud to be British, that sound. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much of that around at the moment, is there? No. <laughs> oh. You can see the invasion stripes on the wings, you see? Yeah, there, yeah. There, there, there's, there's two reasons for us putting those on there. The first reason is it wore them during the war, so yeah. why not? But the second reason, it makes it easier to be seen by the other air traffic. They can't see it because the camouflage works. Oh, yeah. that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, it yeah. does work. <laughs> so you get the odd alarmed Cessna pilot that's flying along on a Sunday afternoon and a Spitfire whizzes by. I didn't see it to the last minute. No. So we've got to put something on there that so the, the other pilots so the can see. Works, oh, it bloody always, does. It's always yeah. the thing that's always made me wonder. Like, did, did it ever really work? Did anyone fall? Oh, yeah. yeah. The 41 pattern was better than the 40. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I can't disagree. With that. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, brown. the American the Mustangs are all—they're all left. They're all or they're shone up in their aluminium, aren't they? That's so right. Yeah, absolutely. To go quicker. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, how did you get into Spitfires in the first place? Are you, were you raised on the like Spitfire teat, like I was, like my dad? No, not really. I air shows and yeah, stuff. not really. I, I I went to an air show just purely by chance in in 1980 at West Morning Airfield which isn't far from here now it's no, no. longer it's a housing estate mm. and um Lots it was of Douglas Bader ways and things around yes. there aren't there <laughs> <laughs> the usual yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um so I went along to the air show and um just watched these airplanes flying flying around spitfires yeah. well in fact there was only a couple then yeah. they were rare to see yeah but I just watched in awe of them and I just thought one day I'd like to fly one of those so I was a long way away from it then, Yeah. you know, driving around in a four Cortina with the wheel arches rusting off, as we all did. But <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, but it was, you know, there's always a way, isn't there? You make yeah. things possible and, that, and really that's what happened. So, um, so you learned to fly? Yes, I did. I learned to fly. I started to learn when I was 19. And um, a few years after that, I gained my commercial license and went into commercial flying and then yeah. airline flying. Yeah. But that was just a way of earning a living. Right. It seemed enjoyable at the time, but the, the main driver behind all of this was to fly a Spitfire. And, also, and obviously to do that, you need a pilot's license. So um, I did buy a, a, a trainer, a World War II trainer, to um, get the right background to fly a Spitfire. Yeah. And uh, restored that myself. Right. And uh, in one of the 
sheds at West Morning, the airfield we've just been talking about, yeah. shortly before it closed. So, in fact, it was the last aircraft to fly out of there. So I restored that and uh, managed to get onto the air show scene flying this Harvard. Yeah. And um, just purely by chance, I was invi invited to fly a Spitfire. It belonged to the Netherlands Air Force. Mm. I was still quite young then. Yeah. Normally people wait till they're in their 50s usually to get to fly these yeah. aircraft. But I was extremely lucky. And this was back in 94. This was great. I mean, it was a marvellous experience. You're always, you're always um, remember your first solo solo flight in a Spitfire when you're learning but the first flight in the Spitfire is what does it for me yeah yeah I was extremely fortunate are you nervous on... a few nerves oh uh, yes I was I can recall I've been sat in this thing I'd never uh, I'd never even uh, started one I'd not been even that close so I was invited to, to go and fly this aircraft the Spitfire in Holland what was... you get given a manual do you basically it's a, 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 a blue a small blue air ministry book. Mm -hmm. Pilot's notes. I know yeah, those, yeah. Just yeah. a few pages, very basic, very basic. It just basically tells you how to start the engine and switch it on and off you go. And um, <laughs> the the commander in chief of the Netherlands Air Force was 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 present. Oh God! So that was uh, yeah, <laughs> but the, he, yeah, a bit tense. But he but was, someone must have said, you know, at, at, you know, just. Stop pulling back on the stick at X speed. Yeah, it, they did. in fact, I, I, I'd sat in this in this aircraft. Does it take off speed about 90, is it? Yeah, well, yeah, about 80 miles an hour. It starts to become light, and as it quickly accelerates, it takes itself off, really. It's really a nothing deal. Okay. But, but anyway, I recall starting the engine, taxiing out, opening the throttle, getting airborne, and just being a couple of minutes away for the airfield. I didn't wander far because I wanted to make because it was I was over unfamiliar territory in Holland. I just wanted to keep the keep the airfield in sight. Yeah. And then I looked out over these elliptical wings. There they were, the roundels. And it all of a sudden dawned on me, what the hell are you, monk? What the hell are you doing this aeroplane? You've got to land it. You've got to land it in front of the commander in chief of the Netherlands Air Force. It's taxpayers' money that have got this thing here. Yeah, I shouldn't even be here. You know. British National in Holland, yeah. and uh, but anyway, I landed it and uh, taxied in, shut down, and the uh, did he did he bounce? Did he bump? No, in fact, it was um, remarkable. Three point yeah, well, one I must have misjudged it because it went perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Rarity. You can never mean to land an aircraft yeah. aircraft perfectly every time. It's usually because yeah. you you weren't quite expecting it, yeah. and uh, it it ends up right. But. Um, and everyone talks about, about Spitfires being these kind of thoroughbreds and, you know, that when you're first flying it, it's more like, That's a you know, your strat... You know, you one second, there's a Cessna going by. Is it Cessna? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, don't that care. sort of don't thing. Care. Don't, yeah. care. don't care about don't that. Care. Don't care about that at all. <laughs> but, but they talk about it being a thoroughbred and, and that how you're sort of strapped and become part of it and you look back and the airfield's a dot and all that. I mean, did you have those experiences? Oh, very much so. So after that first flight, I was asked if I... I'd, I'd flown over there in my own aircraft, which seemed all of a sudden it insignificant. It a bit of a come down. Well, it was. It was. And um, <laughs> the, uh, Barry Mako, the, the commander of the Netherlands Air Force, said, look, he said, we've got to get this aircraft back to the UK. It's taking part in the show next week. It would make sense if you could fly it back for us. He said, well, he said, it's your choice. He said, we can look after you, your aircraft. Um, you you have to trust on, us then. with it. Yeah. And um, we'll, look, we'll look after it. And you can take the Spitfire back. I thought, you can have my aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the Spitfire back. But when I set off, I said that second flight, which was only about an hour or so later after completing the first solo. So um, I, I set off. And then I started to appreciate the characteristics of this aircraft. And honestly, it was 
unbelievably easy to fly. So as you say, the strapping on, yeah. you're thinking about turning left and right and it already does it. Yes, it does because it flies perfectly yeah. and it's not a difficult aeroplane to fly. But that trip home was quite something. Oh, I bet it was. It was. I bet it was. Yeah, yeah. it was. Absolutely. So I had What an amazing thing to do. I know. It was just amazing. So was, you're flying over the channel. Yeah, I was. There yeah. All is. I, I remember flying down the, the Belgian coast, yeah. heading towards the shortest distance across the channel, which yeah. was Calais and across. And um, as I turned and headed off across the channel there and looking at the, the white cliffs, it's all of a sudden dawned on me that, you know, those youngsters flying these aeroplanes, looking at the white cliffs and yeah. those experiences. And there I was without any of that sort of stress. Yeah, no of, one trying to kill No. You. <laughs> and I could enjoy the aircraft, yeah. but honestly, that sort of almost brought a tear to my eye. Almost. I bet it yeah, did. Yeah, I bet. It, did. I it was bet. a fantastic experience. Oh, wow. So from then on, you're like, well, I'm going to have to get one of these. And well, the, 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 the problem is, it's okay, you're flying an aeroplane, it belongs to somebody else, you'll only fly it when they invite you to, yeah. and it could stop at any moment. Yeah. So they've got, they had their own pilots coming along, so yeah. they, they certainly didn't have the need for pilots. So they asked if we could um, um, fly it for a few months, yeah. and that would be it. So I needed to do something about it in quick. That's just side of what I've got to find a way to own one of these. And the only way I was going to do it was to save up and save up in the fauna, buying a wreck and then in stages funding Restoring it along the, the way. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Amazing. but it was a big task. And I managed to find um, one of a few Spitfires that were recovered from a South African uh, scrapyard by a collector um, in Sussex, not far from me. And he was happy to let one of those go for the, the sum of 12,000 quid, which... In today's Goodness money, that's me. relatively small and yeah. small for a yeah. Spitfire. But yeah. if you'd seen what I loaded into the back of a transit van, you might have questioned it. Yeah, my wife at the time certainly questioned it. So what have you done? <laughs> uh, uh, well, so from that, we, we have now have two hangars full we of do. aircraft. That's right. So can we go and have a look? Is that all right? Yeah, let's go. Brilliant. Okay, yep. let's go. Hello, it's James Holland here. And on the very odd chance you've missed it, I've got a new book out, Sicily 43, about the epic 38-day battle that raged in July and August 1943. It's a story that involves breathtaking action at sea, in the air and on land. Its conquest involved airborne operations, daring raids by special forces, the harnessing of the mafia, attacks across mosquito-infested plains, assaults up almost sheer faces of rock and scrub, and featured an astonishing array of highly colourful characters, and all to a backdrop of relentless heat, dust, mosquitoes, and truly brutal terrain. There's a special edition with extra content at waterstones.com, but you can also get it at Amazon, an array of supermarkets, or any of those wonderful independents that are dotted around the country. Thank you for listening, and grazie mille. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. 
Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. We stood beside the, um, the Greek Spitfire. If people have been watching inside the Spitfire factory or more for, um, this is the sort of central story of the, of the program that it goes from being basically the fuselage to this aircraft. Uh, it's a spoiler, it flies at the end. Um, uh, tell us about this plane. This is a very special aeroplane um, in terms of its originality. It's probably the most original Spitfire that we've got in the hangar. Uh, we've restored it, we did it very quickly, because we were on a timeline, as, as you could see in the program. Um, so we've restored it very quickly, it's very original, and, but because of the, the COVID situation, the aeroplane's still here, which is good, yeah. we, can, we can enjoy it for a little bit longer. It, um, but it's got a fantastic history, and one of the, 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 the major things is, a, is the fact that one of the pilots that had actually flown it He's still around today. George Dunn. George Dunn, yeah. yeah. And um, I won't say that he regularly comes to the hangar, but he does come along. He was here just a few weeks ago um, on the Battle of Britain Day when we got all the aeroplanes out of the hangar. But as you can see, it's a lovely looking aeroplane. Yeah. And we're still tinkering with it. There's Alex there. I don't quite know what he's doing, but he's uh, got the engine cover off and uh, doing some minor adjustments. Yeah. But Peter, I love the story about him turning up for the first time here. Absolutely. I mean, that was quite something. We, we, we do hangar tours uh, where people pay to come and visit the hangar. They're guided round. And uh, George did just that. So we'd paid <laughs> just like everybody else. <laughs> but in all, in all honesty, and, and I, I try and sort of um, uh, justify it because he didn't look like a veteran. You know, he wandered around exactly yeah. like the rest. And uh, he certainly didn't look uh, at somebody in their mid-90s. No. But uh, it was quite something when he happened to spot the... Um, the Greek Air Force um, markings and the story behind it and just made a passing comment to the guide that he'd flown these for the Greek Air Force uh, back in the day yeah. and uh, the guide asked him if he wouldn't mind bringing his logbook in otherwise we may well have missed it yeah it's, a, it's, an, it's truly oh, yeah. amazing yeah. so he, he, George flew it to deliver to the 
and they'd go with the Lancaster and come back in the... the Lancaster would navigate and get them there. That's right. They'd go via Cyprus from Egypt and, uh, and then fly them... Once they'd dropped the Spitfires off, fly them back in the Lank. That's right, uh, he, yeah. did it tw- he did two God, two runs. That's a journey I'd love to do. It's absolutely <laughs> incredible. I mean, wow, that would be fantastic. And then it was in the Greek Air Force, so uh, flew in the Civil War, right? It did, that's right. So it, um, as far as the, uh, uh, the Greeks are concerned, it's got more uh, Greek Air Force history or relevant history than perhaps we'd look at it with the, with the view with the, um, that we'd rather have it in Royal Air Force markings. But it's their aeroplane, they funded it, and it's very important to them. Yeah. So they're just waiting for the opportunity to take it back. And we clip wings as well. Yes, that's absolutely right. It was used uh, uh, as low-level uh, strike and attack, so it's got the wingtips removed to make it uh, a much more manoeuvrable aeroplane at low level. Have you flown? Most, sorry, on. no, go on, James. Well, I was going to say most of the clip wings ones were a lot of them were operating in Italy because, of course, there was no Luftwaffe by the end of the war, yeah. or virtually none. So most of the stuff, most of the stuff that Spitfires were doing in Italy, and, it, and, and Spitfires were really suited to Italy because the ranges were quite short. Yeah. You didn't need to kind of sort of go halfway to Germany or anything like that. You just got to go up the leg of, of Italy. But of course, a lot of a lot of the work they're doing is these sort of tactical um, 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 these TACRs, which is these yeah. sort of tactical reconnaissance flights. So so you're going to take photographs of enemy positions, and but brass, if you see anything, and brass them up. Oh, and brass them up. And of course, what you've got in Italy is you've got a lot of these sort of very narrow valleys, mountainous valleys. And the clip wing just means that you can go down and if you're, if you're sort of flying over, I don't know, the Setter Valley or the Reno Valley or whatever it might be in the Apennines, and you see a little column of, of, yeah. um, of, of, of enemy trucks and what have you going down the road, you can immediately drop down and, 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 and attack them. And it just gives you that greater maneuverability because it's got the higher wing loading. Um, at that lower level. Have you flown this one yourself? Not yet, but I will do. How often do you get to, to fly? Because, I mean, you know, you start off, the, the dream is owning a Spitfire, you buy the... You buy the now you've got hundreds you, of you them. You buy the wreck. Now you're surrounded by the bloody things. Well, let me uh, tell you something, that, that flying them is the easy bit. Right. The hardest bit is actually restoring them and putting them back in the air and maintaining them. Yeah. It's easy to fly. Yeah. It, but, the, but the finding of the spares and the, and the, and the, the chasing of the parts is more difficult and is in it? fact I get more more of a buzz from that to see an aeroplane come from nothing to flying yeah. out that is far more of an achievement. So, so how much kind of sort of you know horse trading is there over parts because yeah, you, you, what, you know you you're you're obviously competing with, <laughs> you and John remain obviously kind of sort of you know yeah yeah well it's, to be honest with you it, it is more horse trading than cash cash doesn't necessarily buy parts um, we've got quite a collection of parts probably the biggest collection in the world None of them are for sale. They're all destined for our projects and obviously right. keeping their uh, two-seaters running. But I won't sell any of them. Only, the only way I'd let them go is to trade for parts right. that we need. So if someone's way. got like a pressure gauge you need and you swap, you'll swap it for that's a That's it, for something sim- for of similar or, value. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. Right. right. Yeah, and that's the only way. Occasionally, the generations changes with collections of parts do come available. Um, but it's pretty rare. Is it a big scene or a small scene? Very small. Yeah, that's what I was literally just about to say. Because yeah. the, yeah. the warbird world is a small one, isn't it? It is. Everybody small. knows everybody, yep. and it's an international world as well, isn't yep. it? It is. Yes. Uh, and I mean, how do you get? I mean, just say I wanted to buy a Spitfire. How would I go about <laughs> it? I mean, would, do, do, would I ring you up as a as a first port of call? You could do. We've got projects. We've got um, we've got unrestored Spitfires that are still waiting for homes. Um, we don't advertise them. Because um, we don't. No, don't need no, to, do no we don't need to, and um, we're already running at maximum capacity. But it's a, just a uh, that needs careful 
managing. Okay. Is so, it, so go on. We don't is want this to be one of those bust. businesses, though, if you want to make a million pounds in restoring Spitfires, start with 10 million? That, you've got it exactly right. It, they, they are, this to me is just a labour of love. Right. Um, but an enjoyable one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven days a week for me. What I'd really like to do is I'd really like to buy um, uh, a, a Mark Five. Well, no, you want a Spitfire? Yeah. I'd like a Mark Five. I'd like it with a Vokes filter, and I'd like it done up in the markings of Screwball Burling from Malta in, 19, in the summer of 1942. That's what I'd like. What we would need to do... I mean, obviously, I've got yeah. 10 million. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you'd probably need it. But what you would need to do, you need to find a basis of a project. You need to find something which is recognisable as a Mark V. As a Mark V, and you need to establish the identity of that aircraft, and then you need to obviously bring the Civil Aviation Authority into the loop, because yep. they need to agree that it's an aircraft that they can, that you can identify, you can register it, and it is restorable, and it's not a replacement. You cannot have a new built aircraft. You need to have something to start wow. with, something tangible to start with. Wow. So I need to get right a bit more. Yeah. You need to, yeah, we, we, yeah, or well, we need more patrons. Right, right. So, onwards. So, I want to look at, at this that end wing. of the hangar, there's the, there's the completed aircraft, basically. But if we push back uh, uh, through the hangar, we can see some things. That there's, I see a wing. You yeah, want to look yeah, at the wing, don't you, James? prepared for yeah, us, ready for us. I mean, I, I, I'm, I mean, we're both a bit obsessed with Spitfire wings. Yeah. And, and the construction of them. And one thing that I would say, whenever I've seen a wing in that, in that profile held up, you know, um, Vertically like that on it on its sort of on its side. I was looking. I go. I literally can't see two pieces the same. No, and you two won't. Bits on it. You 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 won't. Every single part is uh, different to the next. There are no two pieces the same, and there are Not lots. One. No, no, no. Exactly right. So there's a lot of work goes in those. In fact, the the fuselage, which if you had if you've got a fuselage complete and you have got some camouflage, some paint on it, it looks like you're getting somewhere. In fact, you're not. Yeah. You're a long way from being finished. And there's your bit, Al. Yeah, yeah, I've got a paperweight Have of, you? Uh, one of, 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 one of these, of the yeah. spar, yeah. You can see the construction there, the tubes that are inserted. Yeah. And then bent, so they lock together. That, the shape is there, and that gives the wings the dihedral, which gives the aircraft yeah. some stability in flight. So that bending process, that's what strengthens it, does it? Yeah. It locks it. They're not. They're not. Those aren't. Those aren't. Aren't soldered or anything. They're. they're um, That's right. They bend it so they click together. That's it. They won't move then. So, so, so move. you have to. When you're restoring a a, a, a plane and the, and the wings just not good enough, you have to make this. You'd have to. Yeah. We. This is wow. one. The, the, we. We. I mean, um, how do you do that? Well, we don't make these. We actually buy them from a company that's been making these for years. On the Isle of Wight. On the Isle of Wight. That's on the Isle of Wight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've been making these for years. But they have a great big jig, and they and they and that's it. They, they, crank it to, to put the bends in and get the shape yeah. and then once you've got that shape all these tubes are then locked together but that shape is not nest, not just to lock the tubes together yeah. that gives the the wings the dihedral yeah, yeah so the sweep up which gives the aircraft some basic how many stability. rivets in the wing i wish i knew i've lost it's sort of seven thousand yeah, the entire yeah, aircraft is, isn't yeah, it i mean yeah. i'm just looking at this in, in the sort of cross section of the wing looking down it it's Very just complicated. unbelievable yeah I'm, actually, I'm going to take a picture of that. Now, is this more or less complicated than, say, the construction of the wing of an ME-109? Oh, 109 is, is very basic. It's, it's almost single-pressed frames. No right. different to a Cessna 152 or, or a, a Piper. It's so the over-engineering rule breaks yep. down quite yeah, quickly. So it's, yeah, so it's a better, better made. Oh, yeah, you could easily match. The, uh, the 109 could be much more easily mass-produced than this. Almost it's one piece at a time and thousands of pieces, as you can see. So, so no wonder they had trouble getting Castle Bromwich off the ground with 
yeah. if 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 it's that actually that complex because because every rivet hole's being drilled and everything. I know it is. Yeah, Lord Beaverbrook was lucky because when he took over on the whenever it was 14th of May, 17th of May, 1940, it was just they were just getting, getting into the swing. Of where it, they were just yeah. getting to swing of it. I mean, where he was brilliant was that he then really really kicked butt and kind of changed working process and all the rest of it. But it, so it was a combination of timing yeah. and his slightly draconian work what's ethic. This plane behind us. I mean, you're. you're you're going to knock your head off there with the wingtip. What, what's this aircraft here? It's in tropical colours. What? This aircraft um, was delivered to North Africa and it flew um, from North Africa and travelled up through Malta into yeah. Italy. So these are in, in its desert colours. Wow. And uh, quite Mark interesting. Mark 9 again? Yeah, it is. 1943 Mark 9, very early one. And because it's got its uh, in desert markings, it has a survival kit there in the cockpit, which if you just look, in the cockpit to the rear, you can see a little tank with a little, mm -hmm. what appears to be a screw thread. Yep. And that's a water tank. So if the if the pilot goes um, down force the landed, yeah, in the desert, he's got some water, and that was only fitted to the desert aircraft. Amazing. I never, I never <laughs> knew that. Yeah. That's brilliant, isn't it? And, and that's the only one of those tanks that I've ever managed to get hold of. But I can't even remember where I got it from now. But <laughs> but it's in this aircraft now. Looks wow. incredible. Yeah. So how long does a wing, or is this a how long is a piece of string question? How long does it take to, to restore a wing? It takes two men six months. Right. One so, wing. One wing. Bloody hell. Yeah. But there's actually... Are they doing that all day? Yes, they are. Actually, <laughs> when, when you look at the fuselage, it looks more significant than a wing, but it's not. There's more work to construct one wing than there is a fuselage. Because the, the fuselage is essentially a tube, isn't it? It is, with, a with tube frame. and press frames, essentially. Yeah. Not individual individual parts like there well they have to carry all the stress and strain yeah, that's of flight. Right. And, yeah, they yeah. do. They do absolutely. So it's always um, when we do a project or, or if, we, if we're doing a project for an owner, they always like to see the fuselage with the livery, the paint, the finish, and they could sit in it if they want to. But that's that's where the action is. Exactly. Yeah. But it's not the most difficult part of the job. In fact, if you probably only you're less than a tenth of the way there when you finish the, the fuselage. You've got a long way to go. So many bits, lots of pieces, not just the wings and the fuselage. You've got the, obviously the, the fin, yeah. the tail planes, and all the control surfaces. And they're all just as bloody complicated as this wing. They, yeah. They're not made for simplicity. Well, it's, it's amazing because at the moment we're watching him doing the, um, I can't remember, what, what, I can never remember the bit at the end of a, um, where you account for the, uh, the, the head of the, of the screw. Countersink. The countersink, countersink, yeah. So he's yeah. doing the countersinking now. That's right. Uh, and, and that is just done with the human eye. And it's, yes, and it is. It, and yeah. it's very yeah. gentle. Yeah. Because you obviously don't want to do too much, but you want to make sure that the, the, the screw right. fits perfectly. Yeah, so the head so is flush. So he puts the, the screw in. A little bit more. Just, and that's it's literally it. yeah. a couple of revolutions, and that's all it is. I mean, it, it's, you can see why it requires so much finesse. Yeah, and exactly right. Such yeah, a difficult a, job. A, a, and in fact, almost every rivet, rivet is like that because these are such thin skins yes. that they're easily damaged or they're easily overworked. In other words, a rivet goes in yeah. too deeply and causes a little bit of a, a, a dimple in the skin. So you've got to be very careful. Yeah. These guys know exactly what they're doing. So t it takes you six months to make a wing. How long would, how long would they have not went out in 1941? I, get, I think the, the oh, a lot of people working on them, though, don't they? Yeah, yeah. lots yeah, of know, people. There would have been more than two working. Yeah, they yeah. would have got that down to a matter of weeks, not not months. Wow. Yeah, they had to. Yeah, yeah, but they're just doing it all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah I know, yeah, but, but just just, just a point of comparison. Amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, they're big. If there are 
there's certain photographs that I've seen of Castle Bromwich where they made Spitfires of rows and rows yeah. of wing jigs. And it's almost one person walking from one wing to the next to the next doing exactly the same job. I bet, I, but, what, would you, what would you give for being able to um, spend an afternoon at Castle Bromwich in 1941 and watch the work I don't know, practices. I've had enough of this place. So I <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, though, it makes you, it makes you appreciate, doesn't it, the fact that Britain produced 132,500 oh, exactly. aircraft in the Second yeah. World War. I mean, like that. Well, you know, of, of all types, some bigger, some smaller, but, but a, a lot, an awful lot bigger. Well, how many Spitfires was it, 22,000? That's right, you've got yeah, You know, I mean, that's 000. a heck of a lot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 22,000, I mean, yeah. that, you know, that, that's like, you know, what's that, that sort of... Um, Trent Bridget capacity, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Lots Something of Spitfires. Like yeah. Where have they all gone? Yeah, and we scratch around fine looking for a piece here and a piece there. <laughs> They're all in the ocean, aren't they? They're off, off, off yeah, Rockall. Yeah, yeah. They got dumped in the sea, didn't they? And there's those, those pictures of rows and rows and rows of Spitfires, sort of, you know, 20 quid. Yeah. 50 quid or whatever. And there was some, uh, uh, these engines are, uh, with some Merlin engines here to look at. Are they to look at? Are these ever going to. These two... Those are Griffins, aren't they? Those are no, they're, they're those are Mark, Mark, these are Mark, yeah. These are Mark 9 Spitfire engines and they have the um, two-speed supercharger right. with the intercooler here. So because it's got a faster um, supercharger, yep. higher gear, as you compress any gas, it gets warm. But you need to cool that gas down again before it goes into the cylinders. Hence, it goes through this. Inside there is a, uh, like a radiator matrix. Yeah through which is running um, coolant, so it's cold, so that the heated gas goes through there, cools down before it goes into the cylinders. Otherwise you end up with possibly a, a pre-ignition. Yeah, misfires and stuff. Exactly, yeah, yeah. so that's the, that's the idea of that. If you look at this engine here, which is an earlier engine, in fact this is a pre-war Merlin 1938 engine, doesn't have it, so it's a lot less power. This is the 950 horsepower yeah. Merlin 3. Yeah. And this is the 1600 odd horsepower yeah. Merlin 60 series. And that's the, super, that's the supercharger yeah. doing that. It is, absolutely. Because this part of the engine, the cylinder banks, apart from modifications, they're essentially the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's all governed by the supercharger and the way that that works. And the injection carburetor, too, here. Well, which then takes you onto the jet engine with the supercharger yep. and all, yeah, all yeah, that yeah. stuff. These, these look a bit more knackered, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, this engine has been recovered. It was recovered, um, I think it's about three years ago now. It was recovered in Wiltshire. It was significant, and as much as this sort of gives you some idea... Was that the one the, that was dug up on Salisbury Plain? Yeah, it was... Um, this, this, this was a presentation um, Spitfire that this engine came from, and it was uh, presented by Lloyd, Lloyd's Bank. Right. So, funded by all the employees of Lloyd's Bank. Uh, and all of the documentation exists in the, black, in the Lloyds Bank archives of where all the money came from. So from the cashiers to the cleaners, everybody, everybody put a shilling or two into the pot and they came up with a 7,000 quid that they donated to fund this aircraft. And it's got a bit of a history. It, it did serve with an Australian squadron and was flown by a couple of aces before it ended up with a training unit and this is the best that they could come up with. They <laughs> crashed it. They crashed it and that was the end of it. So, anyway, so some big significance that the, the Lloyds Bank actually funded the recovery of it. So, anyway, so it's nice wow. to see, and it tells the story yeah, yeah, yeah. of the Spitfire Fund, yeah, really. Look, look inside the Exactly, yeah, it's all there. The gearing in there, yeah. 
this is just another engine. And yeah, this is another engine from a, a Halifax bomber that's recovered not so far from here. So you've a fuselage up here on the yeah, jig. Yes, so jig there you here. are. There's a fuselage. Let's say if it's you, that, if you, you say, uh, yeah, simple, it is very, it? it's empty. It's a tube, as you said, and most of the frames from the at least two thirds of them are, are just pressed. Yeah, are interchangeable. Yeah. What are these? Are just sort of clamps, are they? Yeah, they're just they, they, these hold the skins in place, and then you remove that and put the rivet in. Got you. you need something to hold it all together, otherwise yeah. it's just all over the place. And you and can only get jig. so far in the jig, can't you? And That's right, we have to take jig. it out and we can finish the lower skins because the, 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 the jig gets in the way. But at that point, it's sort of self-sustaining and it's, and it's rigid when you take yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it won't fall apart. How do you get it out again? It looks like it's Without through forever. the front. The front of the jig, you can see some yeah. um, cross members at the front. They come out and there's a pulley at the front and you just hang the back on the pulley and then just trundle it out. Simple as that. Incredible. Right, now we're moving through to the... Oh, calm and quiet we're, in here. Yes, we're not it? in a workshop anymore. We're in yeah. a... Um, well, it's like a Spitfire car park. Well, it, it is, really. This is where the, the live aircraft are kept. There's, there's little or no maintenance going on in here. Only perhaps a, the odd um, maintenance check, yep. which just means looking at the airplane for a day or so. Kubervog and then Steve McQueen's Jeep. It is, absolutely, yeah. This is very quirky, isn't it? To have something with Steve McQueen's, especially the Jeep, because the Jeep's the part of what we're all about anyway, but this one's quite different. It was sitting here perfectly sort of unused, um, but one of my sons has got in it, look, and has been through the mud in it, and um, <laughs> yeah, it's now soiled. Now, the thing is, though, we've been talking about Spitfires a lot, but there's, right, I mean, how can we ignore this? There's a 109. Well, Are we doing that in the next podcast? Yeah. All right, <laughs> so you're going to have to watch the next one then. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll do 109s and hurricanes. This is what happens when yeah, I don't read you, the emails. There's a, a, a 605 engine there, look, yep. upside down. Wow. Well, we'll get to that another time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, is your original Spitfire here then? Uh, no, it isn't actually. It's the one we're talking about. It's yeah. over the one with the Spirit experimental, yeah, with the experimental propeller. It's not here. We actually had to move it away yesterday because we're... We're jammed solid at the moment with Spitfires. So, uh, um, if people have, well, they won't have seen the episode yet, I think. We're, we're talking it's about the, the experimental, it's in the last one, the experimental yeah. propeller. This is the most amazing thing, James. There's, there's a guy who makes Spitfire propellers now. Yeah. And they've got, he's found the material. It's not Rotol anymore. It's not no, Rotol. It, they're made to the, it's not Rotol, it's, it's made, um, but they are made to the exact specification that uh, Rotol made them in the first place. Because what we're using at the moment are Hoffman blades. They're made in Germany, and they're made to uh, the way that the, the Hoffman decided to make them. Yeah. And, and they're not exactly the same. They're made of a, a softer material, and they do have certain restrictions where, as the British-made propellers now, now we prove them, yeah. there are no restrictions. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's just, they've taken all this. So now Rupert, they're exactly guy, as the Rotor wants. Yeah, Ru exactly. Rupert, yeah. It's this guy, Rupert Wazy, and, he, and he, a neighbour was having a clear out and found a linen. That's right. Li, li, on linen drawing of how to make a Spitfire uh, the right propeller for the Mark 9. Absolutely. How incredible. amazing. And the right material, and it's yep. like a super composite. Um, it's a birch composite. Compressed. Compressed right. composite. So it's like a sort of mega, these are metal, aren't mega they? MDF. No, they're made of wood. <laughs> they're wood. They're wood. They're, oh, they are all wood. They are they? all wood. Yeah, only the, the very early Spitfires with the three-bladed um, de Havilland propeller, 
they were, they were metal, but the Mark 9s and the Griffins, so the four and five bladed propellers, are wood. They're like, like super dense wood fibre yeah. material, like, like, wow. like MDF, basically. Okay. In fact, if, like you if you go and take a look and look hard, hard enough, you can actually see lines in the uh, finish on the propeller. Now. That's actually the, the wooden strips or the wooden uh, blocks that actually make the propeller blade. But not as good as the British made all the original blades. They, they, they are limited to power and, and sort of certain things. Yeah, yeah he cuts them on a CNC machine, right. isn't it? It's incredible. Yeah. Wow. And this one is the original trainer, isn't it? It is. So this, this was MT-818. MT-818, so Mark 8 Spitfire, originally built as a single-seater. It didn't actually go to squadron service. It ended up at Boscombe Down as a, as a, a test piece, so they were using it for testing various things. And one of those things was uh, anti-spin shoots where they would in the event of the aircraft getting out of control, they'd eject a parachute. Just forward of the fin, you can see a little, uh, yes. a little hatch. Yeah. So that's been there since 1944. In there was, a, was a, a parachute which would have been ejected and obviously would have straightened the aircraft up. Pilot could have got rid of it once he got it back under control and away he went. How success successful it was, I don't know. But this is the only aircraft we know that's got it. But as I say, this, because this aircraft is so original, it's never been completely restored. Yeah. It's still got some of its single seat bits and pieces still attached to it. Right, so, so it's, it's the true hybrid. Oh, absolutely. So, and then it was sold back to Vickers in 1946. They put it on the civilian register and um, did the modification. So if you look close enough inside the fuselage, you can actually see the, whether the actual frames have been cut yeah. and um, modified and bits added and taken away. So it's actually quite something. So it's the only surviving Spitfire prototype. And it's got its, uh, um, <laughs> the engine it, it actually flew with. So... No. Yeah, the engine was removed wow. in the 50s because during a, 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 a period of maintenance, an engineer dropped some locking wire down inside the engine. Yeah. Right, what do we do now? We'd better take it out. So they took the engine out, put another one in. So that engine just sort of drifted from pillar to post with people with various ideas of putting it into cars and boats and things. But fortunately, that never happened. And it was found about um, 10 years ago, um, in, fact, in fact, by me, <laughs> and uh, on the search for spares and bits and pieces, there was a chap that used to put the um, engines into cars. Yeah. And uh, he passed away. His brother ended up with all the stuff and he was selling it. I got to find out. Went down to his farm in Sussex. And uh, he says, interested in that complete engine as well. I said, well, yes. He said, I've got the logbook for it. I said, really? I said, they don't, there are no logbooks with, with um, Merlin engines. He says, no, no, I've got the logbook. Anyway, when he showed it to me, there was a civil registration of this aircraft. Amazing. Incredible. And it, and it says in the logbook that uh, removed due to lost locking wire. And then, coincidentally, a year before, because this aeroplane had been in the States, it had been brought back in, and the owner only lived 10, 10 miles away. So I phoned him, I said, you're not going to believe this. I found and the, the original engine out of your aeroplane. That is so amazing. It went to uh, Retro Track and Air to be uh, overhauled, and when they pulled it apart, they found that piece of wire that was... <laughs> they did find it. Yeah, they found it, yeah. Been there nice. since 55. So the engine, fortunately, had never been run or used. And Absolutely it. incredible. Yeah, she's back with it now, and there it is. Right, that's well, amazing. Yeah, well, I think well. That, that's enough for one episode. <laughs> I think we're going to do some more of this, so uh, we'll see you 
soon, everybody, um, with more stuff from the Heritage Hangar here at Biggin Hill. Oh, cheers, Peter. No problem. No problem.